Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Today's scripture is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. But before we read, let us pray together. Dear God, as we read your word, may we hear your voice in it. May we hear your challenge, your grace, and your call on our lives. And may we have the faith to respond to it. Amen. Now every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety, he said to them. Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? but they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Annika. So friends, we are in this giving thanks season as we approach Thanksgiving. Giving thanks last week for our ministries with children and with families. Giving thanks today for our ministries with young people, with students, with adolescents in our midst. Next week, we'll talk about giving thanks for the ministries with young adults. So. It intrigues me that we only have one story in all of Scripture about Jesus Christ as a young person. We have the two birth narratives, of course, in Matthew and in Luke's Gospel. Then we have, of course, in all four Gospels, Jesus' baptism, which begins his public ministry of teaching and healing and preaching. We have nothing, however, between birth and baptism except this one story that only appears in the Gospel of Luke. This is Luke 2, 41 through 52. You just heard Annika read it for us. So Jesus is 12 years old and, oh, Passover has come. And so for miles around Jerusalem, if you are able, people clear out of towns and villages and they make their way to be as close to the temple as possible. 
There are six major festivals for the Jewish people. Three of them are called pilgrimage festivals. And in a pilgrimage festival, if you're able, you leave wherever you are in the world and you come back to Jerusalem. So Mary and Joseph are no different. They go with Jesus from Nazareth. It's about 90 miles due south. They probably would have gone into the Jordan River Valley. They would have walked with all kinds of pilgrims from all over getting to Jerusalem. It is their own kind of pilgrimage. Some of us just heard about our pastor Melanie Hardison's pilgrimage at the Camino de Santiago in Spain. People have been pilgrimaging for years and for years and for years. Mary and Joseph and Jesus are no different. Scholars think it takes about four to five days by walking to get to Jerusalem. They have the festival of the Passover. It's an amazing, wonderful time. The festival was ended, and it says they went a day's journey, Mary and Joseph, probably back down the mountain. Jerusalem's on a high plateau. They're camping overnight in the Jordan River Valley before they make their way for four more days or so up to Nazareth. And at that point, they, they realize that Jesus is not with them. They realize that their oldest son isn't present, hasn't been with them for the whole day. It's only when they're camping that night that they wonder where he is. It sort of calls into question their parenting skills, Mary and Joseph. The conversation is imaginable, is predictable, probably. Um, Mary turns to her husband, Joseph, and says, Sweetheart, have you seen the Messiah? And Joseph says to his wife, no, no, dear, uh, my matzo ball, you said you were going to watch for the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. And Mary says, no, no, my gefilte fish, last time we talked, you were going to watch for Jesus, the Son of God. And Joseph says, well, he's around here somewhere, let's look for him, right? So they go to their first ring of campers. These are relatives and friends from Nazareth, and they ask, have you seen, have you seen our son, Yeshua? In the Aramaic, it's Yeshua. We get the name Josh, Joshua, from this. Have you seen Josh? Uh, No, no, Mary, no, Joe. In fact, we haven't seen him in days. It's been days since we've seen Josh. Well, that's, that's odd. So they would go to the next group of campers. These are people they don't even know, but they're from Nazareth, maybe, the northern region. And they would ask, excuse me, have you seen our son, tall, handsome young man? He may be talking about the plan a lot. Have you you seen a young man like that? No, lady, no, sir, we haven't seen anyone like that. Odd. Okay. Well, the Bible passage you just heard Attica read says that they went back to Jerusalem. It was a full day's journey, and they went back. We don't know this, but I hunch when they realized that Jesus was not with them, they went back that night when it really was not safe to travel. There really were wild animals out there. There was no highway patrol. There really were robbers who preyed upon straggling pilgrims. It was not safe. But they went back that night, I think, to Jerusalem and began to search for him. And the passage says, after three days, come on, Bible scholars, You pay attention. Whenever you see the number three in Scripture, you perk up and pay attention because God loves the number three. Amazing things happen around the number three. After three days, 
they're looking for him. So imagine how Joseph and Mary are feeling at this point. Some of you know what this is like to have lost charge of someone who was in your care. I think it's at least four days by my count, possibly five. They can't find Jesus And they're in the marketplace and somebody overhears some conversation about a kid who's been in the temple for several days. He's been sitting among the religious muckety-mucks, the leaders, those who are very, very self-important. They got degrees from Princeton Seminary and they teach (laughs) church history at Columbia Seminary. Anyway, so the the Lord has been with them and Mary turns to her husband and says, it's him, isn't it? And they run to the temple, a place they have not yet looked in for five days. They run to the temple, and there is Jesus sitting among these religious leaders, teachers. And he's been asking them questions and answering their questions. And all have been amazed at his understanding. Then it says, Mary went up to him and she asks this lovely question. She says, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. I bet it sounded just like that. (laughs) Probably it could be closer to something more like, oh, I don't know. Child, why are you treating us like this? Anxiety! And, and Jesus, look at this, Jesus, instead of answering the question, he asks a question back. All right, so, so for some of you who are adolescents, right, who are young people here, and I can see you back there, thank you. Um, so if your folks are coming at you, or your aunt or uncle or grandparents or caregivers, teachers, whoever coaches, they're coming at you and they're mad about something and they're asking you a question. Like, young man, what do you think you're doing? Let me be clear, your best strategy is not to ask a question back. Young man, what do you think you're doing? Dad, what do you think I'm doing? That is not going to work. It worked for the Lord because he is divine. You may think you are, but you ain't. And you will soon discover how undivine you are. Jesus asks them, well, mom, dad, why were you even looking for me? Didn't it occur to you that I must be in my father's house? And verse 50 says, but they did not understand what he said to them, which actually is Bible code language, for Mary did not calm down right away. (laughs) Then it continues and says, then he went down with them, that's down from the plateau of Jerusalem, went down into the river valley, and they came back to Nazareth. And he was obedient to them, that's important. And then it says these lovely words, His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. That's right. Did you catch that? Jesus grew. He matured in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. Thank goodness for our young people in our midst. There are Bible passages in certain translations where there are sort of titles for sections and stories. And often the title for this section in some translations is The Boy Jesus Lost in the Temple. And later theologians are reminding us, actually, Jesus was never lost. 
He knew exactly where he was supposed to be. Really? It's Joseph and Mary. They're the ones who were lost. They did not quite yet fully understand who he was and why he was here. And yet still Jesus increased in wisdom and in years. He taught them. It's the question that Zach asked. He taught them what it means to be parents. So almost 30 years ago, I was privileged to be working for the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church USA. I was the National Director for Youth and Young Adult Ministries working in the national offices in Louisville, Kentucky. And we had, at that point, a General Assembly meeting every single year. This is the largest decision-making body of the church. Over a thousand commissioners, ministers, and ruling elders and advisory delegates would come together somewhere in the country and consider the church's business and ministry during the course of that year. And they would make decisions that would impact and shape ministry for the year to come. That year we were in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where Presbyterians first gathered, and it was an important historic assembly. We were in the convention center there, and the most controversial topic, action, before that particular general assembly was the release and publication of a sexuality curriculum for adolescents and their parents called God's Gift of Human Sexuality. It was controversial, you can imagine, then, 30 years ago. It would likely be controversial now. It was the first time any denomination in the U.S. had decided to put forward a church-wide curriculum for young people and their parents around human sexuality. I recall that my colleagues, leaders in the Methodist Church, the Episcopal Church, the Lutheran Church, the Catholic Church, even the Baptist churches, they were all watching to see if we were going to actually publish and pass this curriculum. It was up to the assembly to decide, shall we send this curriculum out to our 12,000 churches? And it was hotly, hotly debated. The committee that looked at the entire curriculum of 60 people barely passed it and said, okay, we think this should be sent out. That came to the main floor, over a thousand commissioners and delegates there. The moderator who was in charge of that general assembly, he was a very gracious man, a very patient man. He knew that it was controversial. He said, I would like to be sure everyone who wants to speak has a chance to speak to this motion, this question, shall we release this curriculum to the church? And that meant there were these nine microphones around the floor, these long tables of commissioners and delegates. And I saw, I was sitting in the bleachers and I was watching and right away, women and men started lying lining up behind each of these nine microphones, I was thinking, oh my goodness, we're going to be here for a while. It was the third hour of conversation. The moderator calling on particular microphones, someone telling their story, someone testifying, someone saying don't, someone saying yes. The, art, the chapters that were most in contention, uh, one was on abortion, you can predict this, and the other was on contraception. One was on human sexuality in terms of homosexuality, and one was on gender. Those four chapters gathered the most criticism and concerns. Finally, after about four hours of conversation and debate, a minister got up at one microphone and he said, it is clear that we are not ready 
to release this curriculum to the church. I know it's been seven years in process. I know we've gone through major revisions, but it's clear we're not ready. I move that we form, this is so Presbyterian, that we form a new committee to study this curriculum again and come back in two years. And honestly, I was sitting there in the bleachers with my colleagues and friends and thinking that probably is the movement of the Holy Spirit. It is clear that we're not ready. So let's take two more years and see and come back. The moderator said there's a motion before us to send this to a new committee for study and revision and come back in two years. Anyone want to speak to that? And then these microphones cleared out and one young woman was standing there a youth advisory delegate from Delaware. There were these two 50-foot screens at the front of the convention center floor, and her face appeared on both of them. She was holding a piece of paper in front of her, and it was going like this. Clearly, she was nervous, as anyone would be, to speak to a 1,000 people and to see your face 50 feet high. She put her head down, and she read from her paper, and she said this, I understand that this is controversial, and I don't know all about those four particular chapters or the topics about abortion or contraception or homosexuality or gender, but I do know this. I read a chapter on sexual abuse And I'm going to say something that I have never told anyone in my whole life of 18 years. And looking down, she said, when I was 11 years old, a friend of our family who was very well liked and trusted abused me a number of times. And I wondered two things. I wondered why God did this to me. And I wondered if it was my fault. She said, I've carried that with me for seven years. And two days ago, I read this chapter, and it said three things. Number one, God never wants this to happen to anyone. God did not cause this. Number two, it's not your fault. And number three, here are ways to get help. She said, If I, in my church, had this chapter available to me, maybe I wouldn't have tried to hurt myself three times as I've had in these past years. I know it's not perfect, but I think there's a kid out there who needs this chapter, and I think we should give it to them and trust our churches to teach this the way they're supposed to teach it. Then I watched her move from her microphone, and she made her way back to her seat, and she collapsed with her head in her arms on her table. And I couldn't go onto the floor because I wasn't a commissioner or a delegate, but I was so grateful that right away I saw pastors and elders and other advisory delegates move to her and care for her in that amazing moment. The moderator said, there is a motion before you. Shall we refer this curriculum to a new committee for two more years? And people began to shout, I'm ready to vote. I'm ready to vote. And he said, let's call for the vote. All in favor of referring the curriculum to a new committee, say aye. And it was defeated soundly. Then the moderator said, all right, now the original motion is before you. Do we send the curriculum to our churches? 
All in favor say aye, and it passed, but closely, but it passed. A few moments later, I saw her during a break. She had left her seat on the floor. I gave her a hug and said, my goodness, I have never seen the heart of an assembly turned by one voice. Thank you for your courage. She shrugged her shoulders, gave me a hug, and said, I did what I thought God wanted me to do. A day later, I saw her, gave her a hug again. Are you doing okay? And she said, yes. You know what's amazing? I said, no, what's amazing? She said, every time I go back to my seat, there are notes there for me. She said, one note came from a woman, it was anonymous, said she was 64 years old and she too had been abused, and she had never told anyone until just that moment in writing that note. Jesus wasn't lost. He knew where he was supposed to be. She knew what her voice was supposed to say. Thank God for the gifts of young people in our midst. I say this, you say this, young people, youth are the future of the church, and that is absolutely true. But if we stop there, we deceive ourselves, because she reminded me that day, young people are the future of the church, and they are the church today. They are the church right now. Jesus increased in wisdom and in years, and divine and human favor. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week. 